Welcome to Soma Northwest. My name is Bobby. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, as Chris mentioned at the beginning of our service, today marks our two-year anniversary as a congregation. Uh, Obviously, for those of us who have been around a while, uh, we know that we have relationships that extend back uh, farther than two years. Uh, We've been connecting in smaller groups on this side of town as a part of uh, Soma Church for four or five years, some of us. Uh, But in September of 17, we launched out as a public congregation, and we've been in our on Sunday mornings and just doing some more um, stuff corporately, collectively in our community. Uh, It's been great to see how God has moved and worked in individuals and also in us as, as the body of Christ, as the expression of the body of Christ here locally at Soma Church. And I think it's fitting today as we celebrate our two-year anniversary that we welcome a couple of ladies into our fellowship as members of Soma. So, Albany and Kirstina, you can come up. Um, I don't know, obviously, yeah, you can, you can clap for these folks if you want. Um, obviously, why don't you come over on this side? There you go. Um, Obviously, I don't know everybody in this room. I don't know what your church tradition growing up or what you've been exposed to has been. Some of us grew up in churches that practiced membership. Others of us grew up in churches that didn't practice membership. And so I know just thoughts and feelings and even experiences on what church membership is vary even in a smaller group like this. Uh, At Soma Church, we do obviously practice church membership, and we don't call membership or view membership as kind of like an in-club, in-the-club sort of thing. Uh, It doesn't get you special perks or uh, there's not a rewards uh, card that you get uh, becoming a member. Um, You don't get special access to particular people becoming a member. Um, We practice church membership because it's a tangible, physical representation of what is already true about us, that we are part of the body of Christ that we are a part of something that's bigger than just us individually. Um, The scriptures throughout the New Testament talk and refer to being a Christian as being a member of a body, that we are uh, all different parts of the body. We are jointed together. We are joined together. We function together. We are a part of a community that is representative ultimately uh, of who God is. That God is uh, one God, but three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, relationally joined together. And as Christians, we represent that truth about God in our relationships with one another. And you won't look, you won't see in the pages of the New Testament the words church membership, because back in those days, if you were a Christian living in the city of Rome, you didn't have 500 different options in your neighborhood to go to church. You were a part of that group of Christians, and you identified with that particular body in that different uh, particular body of Christ. But here in our day, obviously, contextually, we are different. Um, and, and so we practice church membership, and those of us who are members of Soma Church are simply saying that this is the body of Christ, the local expression of the body of Christ that I am committed to. These are the people uh, with whom I am going to pursue Christ with. These are the relationships with whom I am going to be vulnerable. I'm going to let people challenge me and encourage me. Uh, These are the people who are going to care for me and vice versa. This is what I'm going to do for them. I'm going to care for them. I'm going to walk with them. I'm going to be in their lives as friends, uh, as neighbors. We are going to pursue uh, the glory of Christ in this city together, in our context together. And so that's what we mean by church membership, is that we are coming together and we are as individuals recognizing that I've been called to something that is bigger than just me and my own personal relationship with Jesus, that I've been called into relationship with other people who are different from me, who express who God is in ways that I need to know and learn from and that I can be encouraged by. And I'm, for this season in my life, unless, until God calls me otherwise, this is the group of people that I'm going to commit to. So when we say church membership, that's what we mean. 
and that's how we practice it. And so these two ladies have expressed a desire to do that. So I would just like you all to introduce yourself and then just say, like, what do you do for work? Well, I don't have a voice right now, but hey, y'all. My name is Albany. Um, I'm a cashier at Home Depot, but I go to Butler University. I'm studying marketing and the music business. So those are like my two forms of work. I'm also an internship. I like community engagement. So those are just a little bit uh, and small little tidbits about me. Uh, my name's Kirstina, and I'm volunteer audio team lead here. Uh, audio technician otherwise, so. And I'm married to Jacob Kramer. <laughs> Ladies, we're excited uh, to welcome you in. Both of you, just over the last year or so, have been a really integral part of our body. You've served here on Sunday morning really faithful, faithfully. You've jumped in to uh, meet needs, to care for people, uh, to be a friend to other people. And so we're thankful for your presence here and your engagement with our body. So I'm going to read um, some of our member vows. Um, and as I read those, uh, I just want you, uh, as you agree with those, to say, yes, we do, or yes, we will. So being present declarations and to make a public profession of faith are to assent to the following declarations and promises by which you enter into a solemn covenant with God and his church. Do you acknowledge yourself to be sinners in the sight of God, justly deserving his displeasure and without hope except for his sovereign mercy? Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of sinners, and do you receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he has offered in the gospel? Do you now resolve and promise in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will endeavor to live as becomes the followers of Jesus Christ? And do you promise to support the church in its worship and its work to the best of your ability? And finally, do you submit yourself to the government and the discipline of the church and promise to pursue its purity and its peace? As is our custom here, if you are a member of SOMA, would you just raise your hand as we pray over uh, Christina and Albany and welcome them in and just ask God's blessing upon them and also ask God's power uh, to be in them and to work through them to build up this body of Christ. So pray with me, please. God, we're thankful for these two ladies here. We're thankful that you have called them both to yourself to be in relationship with you. We thank you that they have put their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior. We thank you that they are trusting the Holy Spirit to shape them and to form them into the women that you have created them to be and to the, bro the, the sisters uh, that you have called them to be in your body. And so we're thankful for their presence here. We thank, we're thankful for how they have ministered here and they have served here. We're thankful for how they have uh, been good friends to people here. We're thankful that they bring their, their gifts to challenge and their ability to this group of people to build it up, to encourage it, to challenge it. We pray for your protection over them. Uh, as they continue to be a part of this body. We pray that you would protect them from the evil one and his schemes to discourage them, to, um, uh, to uh, bring them into uh, seasons of doubt and seasons of, of wrestling uh, with you. We pray that you would protect them in um, uh, their relationships with other people, that they would be uh, women of peace, and that they would pursue peace and reconciliation in their relationships with others, that they would be quick to forgive others and quick to ask for forgiveness of others. And we just pray, Lord, that as they continue to grow and they continue to develop relationships here in this community of faith, uh, that you would use them, continue to use them in powerful ways to build this body up. Uh, we pray as a church that we would come around them and support them. We pray that we would be diligent in encouraging them uh, when they need encouragement, challenging them when they need to be challenged, uh, weeping with them when they weep, uh, laughing with them and rejoicing with them 
when they are experiencing times of happiness and, and joy in their lives. And so we're thankful for them, and we're thankful that you have brought them into this body, into this community of faith. And we pray this for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, ladies. Thanks. Let's give them a hand. Well, all those things, when we practice membership, the things that we talk about with membership, as we celebrate uh, life together in this church body, uh, we're really what we're celebrating is God's work. We're recognizing that in this room, we are a collection of people that are broken. We're sinful people. We're selfish people. We're people that often... Uh, grasp and cling to our own rights and our own comforts, but through the power of the gospel, through the power of Jesus Christ living in us through his spirit, we recognize that God is bringing us together, that God can overcome those things, that God can work through some of our own brokenness and sinfulness, and we have experienced that. Many of you who have been a part of this fellowship have experienced deep, life-giving relationships that have been formed over the last couple years. Um, you've experienced healing and renewal uh, as a part of being a, a part of being this community together. Uh, we've made connections together with good works that have been going on that are doing really good gospel work in our community. As I mentioned with these two ladies and so many of us in this room, uh, gifts and talents and abilities have been brought here and have been present here to build each other up. And many of us in this community have been really encouraged and built up just by rubbing shoulders with each other and seeing where each other work and how we work and what we're doing in our families and parenting and friendships and just walking through uh, grief and, and pain and, and joy and happiness and, and sorrow, loss, like all of those things, we have, we have walked through those things together, even in a very short amount of time. And what makes all of this possible is that we as a church community firmly believe in God's power to transform. We believe that through God's spirit, God brings deliverance, God brings healing, God brings restoration, that God is a God of transformation, that the gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't just offer us some kind of uh, a partial renewal, it doesn't offer us some sliver of hope that the gospel of Jesus Christ has the power to fully and completely transform us as those who have faith in him. And we also believe that as God is doing a work in us, that he's also doing a work through us, that he's accomplishing his purposes for this world through us, both individually and collectively, in our different roles and responsibilities, in our relationships, in all of the things that we go through in life. God is making himself known through us. He's making himself known to each other as we are in relationship with each other. He's making us known in our families, to our neighbors, to our classmates, to our coworkers. He's making himself known in our neighborhood, in this community, and in this city through the work that he is doing in us. And this year, as we've uh, studied the scriptures together, uh, on Sunday mornings and then talked about them and practiced them in our missional community groups and discipleship groups. We've called this partnership, God's work in and through us, and our participation in that work, we have called that spiritual formation. Spiritual formation, that we trust the Spirit of God to shape us, to change us, as we engage with certain practices that God has laid out to us, for us, in his word. Remember, we are whole people. We are people that, we are people who think. We are people who feel. We are people that make choices. We are bodies. We aren't souls that just happen to have a body. Souls that are trapped in some physical cage. You are a body. 
I am a body. We interact with other bodies who think and feel and make choices in their life. And what we believe that God lays out in his word and by experience in our own life is that God is about the business of transforming all of who we are, all of our thoughts, all of our feelings, all of the decisions that we make, the relationships that we have, what we do in and through our bodies, that God's spirit desires to transform all of us, not just part of us. That is spiritual formation. And up to this point, We have learned about and we have practiced together Sabbath rest. We've learned about and we've practiced prayer together, Bible reading together, all all of which are ways that we participate in God's transforming work in and through us. And those practices feel at home in church, right? Sabbath rest, Bible reading, prayer, those are part and parcel for church life. We hear those preached about, we practice those together. If you've had any experience in church whatsoever, those have been staples of what it means to walk with God and to be transformed by God. But this morning, we are starting a new teaching and practice series as a church that will go over, uh, go through the next few weeks and, and beyond. But one that looks outside of ourselves, one that may not be as familiar as a spiritual practice, as a way that God shapes and forms his people. And I'm talking about the practice of justice and the practice of reconciliation. Justice and reconciliation. It is really, really important that when we talk about justice and we talk about reconciliation, that we define exactly what we mean. Because if you turn the TV on, if you scroll through your social media feed, if you talk to any number of people, the terms justice and reconciliation are loaded terms. And they have taken on a number of different meanings. And so it's hard sometimes to have a conversation about what justice is, what reconciliation is, without explaining exactly what we mean when we use those words. And it's Christus, and we def- it's doubly important that we define justice and we define reconciliation through God's word. What God says is true. What God says is reality. How God says that things are supposed to be. So what we are going to try to do during this series is to deconstruct, to deconstruct our understanding of reconciliation and justice. To recognize where we've maybe been influenced more by our cultural narrative And then to construct a biblical view of what it means for the people of God to be people of justice and reconciliation. We're going to do our best to do that. And that's where I want to start this morning. When we talk about justice, what we mean is giving every person their rights as an image bearer of God. That's what we mean by justice, giving every person their rights as an image bearer of God. The scriptures teach us very, very clearly that God is a God of justice, that he is a just God. Would you turn with me by way of example to Psalm chapter 33, Psalm chapter 33, If you don't have a copy of the scriptures, you can use this blue or white Bible you find on your seat. If you don't uh, own one of those yourself, feel free to take this as our gift to you this morning. Psalm chapter 33. Now I want to look at verses 4 and 5. Psalm chapter 33, verses 4 and 5. The psalmist writes, For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. 
Those two words there, righteousness and justice. Righteousness and justice occur hundreds of times throughout the Old Testament. And sometimes they are, um, uh, they are used singularly, uh, uh, separate from each other. Other times, like we see here in Psalm 33, they are joined together. They are put together. And when the Bible puts these, the writers of Scripture put these two words together, as in Psalm 33, they put them together to express a singular idea. It's like when we put words like nice and warm together, or health and safety together, or law and order together. We are putting two different words together, two different words together to express one idea. The Hebrew word for righteousness means straight, lined up. Things are brought together. They are lined up. It's used of objects that are what they are supposed to be and objects that do what they were made to do. They are who they're supposed to be, and they are made to do. They do what they are supposed to do. The word translated justice means to put things right, to put things back, to make things the way that they are supposed to be. Now look at those two words in the context of verses 4 and 5. What do we see there? We see the word of the Lord. We see the work of the Lord. We see the faithfulness of the Lord. We see the love of the Lord. What these two verses are telling us about God is that God is a relational God. That God relates to creation in his work. That his work in creation is relational. Love. God God is a God of love. He acts in love. He is faithful. He does work. He uses words. All of these things are relational. The the context here shows us God in action. So what we see here is a God who desires creation to be made right like it was supposed to be and a God whose relationship to creation is about putting things right. Let me say that again. God, what we see here in these verses, that God loves, the Lord loves righteousness and justice. What the psalmist is saying here is that God is a God who desires this world, who desires all of creation to be made right as it was originally intended to be, and that his relationship, that his work, his relational work towards his creation is about putting those things right, making things right. God is a God who is just. And that justice, as we see here in these verses, is expressed relationally, or dare I say it, socially. God is a God of justice, and that justice is expressed relationally. And this is a theme that we see throughout Scripture from the law given to Israel about how they are supposed to live together as the people of God to the message of the prophets exposing and condemning the fact that they have not lived together as God intended them to live and as God desired them to live. To Jesus' sermon on the mount about life in the kingdom, what God desires our life to be under his rule and under his reign. To the letter of James to the, to the church in Jerusalem about how they were supposed to treat each other and be in relationship with, with each other. To ultimately John's vision in the book of Revelation of a day when all creation, all creation, all creation will be as God created it to be. We see this thread of God's justice, God's desire for things to be as they should be, as he defines them to be, as he created them to be, we see that this is the trajectory of Scripture, that all of history is moving to that point when God in Jesus Christ one day will make all things new will make all things the way that he intended them to be forever and ever and ever and ever. God's justice isn't just something that God sits back and reflects upon as a concept. 
God's justice isn't something he acts upon only when the situation calls for it. Justice is a fundamental part of God's plan for creation. Putting things right. Making things right between himself and humanity. Between humanity itself and between humanity and this world. God is just. God relates to humanity and justice. God expects his people to act with justice. And when you look through the pages of Scripture, you will see that justice has two arms. Throughout the Scriptures, we see God acting with a justice that's retributive. When people run afoul of what God says is right and good, God responds with retribution. God brings punishment. We've been looking through the book of Egypt, or excuse me, the book of Exodus, and looking at how God dealt with the empire of Egypt. And we see that God judged Egypt and Pharaoh for their idolatry and for their injustice. They oppressed Israel. They enslaved Israel. They took away Israel's rights as a people, God's people. And so God confronted Egypt and Pharaoh. But we also see God delivering Israel. And that's God's restorative justice. That God punishes and confronts wrongdoers, but he also vindicates those who have been wrong. He confronted Pharaoh and Egypt for their injustice towards his people Israel, but he delivered Israel out of that and gave them a new land with a new identity, a new relationship to him, and the blessings that come out of that. Unless we think that this is just an Old Testament thing, the life and teachings of Jesus show us the same thing. Listen to Jesus' words in Luke chapter 14 to a religious leader. He's in this man's house having dinner with him. And Jesus tells him, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. People who can't repay the host. People who weren't typically invited to celebrations and feasts. People who were starving, who were homeless, the social outcasts of the day. These folks were giving, given something by the host that they lacked. Food, drink, relationship. They were given dignity by the host inviting them to his house for this banquet. And Jesus is using this not just as an exhortation and an encouragement to treat the vulnerable with justice and with dignity. Jesus is making an even bigger point in this passage, an even bigger point in this passage, and this is where we're going this morning. Jesus is saying something very, very important about what he's come to do. And what his mission is, what his ministry is. And all of this, as we have seen from the Old Testament to New, all of this should give us confidence that when we talk about justice, we are on the same page with God. We don't have to be afraid that we're running afoul of what God says is good and right because being people of justice and doing justice and living lives of justice is what God does. It's who he is, and it's what he expects of his people. And so during this series, we are going to zero in, as we talk about this big picture of justice, we are going to zero in specifically on the practice of reconciliation as an act of justice. Justice and reconciliation are distinct, yet they're essential to each other. You can't have true justice without reconciliation, and there can't be reconciliation without acknowledging that there's been an injustice. And here's what we mean by reconciliation. Restoring relationships, restoring systems and structures into to the way God created them to be. 
restoring relationships and systems and structures to the way that God intended them to be. Restoring. Seeking to make things right. One of the central tenets of the Christian faith is the belief that this world is under the curse of sin and death. And just experientially, none of us can look around and think that this is the best there is. That this is the way things are supposed to be. People, systems, and structures are broken and in need of restoration. The poor are in need of restoration. The homeless and the indigent are in need of restoration. The abused and neglected are in need of restoration. Refugees are in need of restoration. People whose lives have been turned upside down by corruption are in need of restoration. For this series, we are going to focus specifically on what it looks like and what God's desire is for the restoration of racial and ethnic minorities. We're going to acknowledge the injustice that racial and ethnic minorities have faced and are facing in our country. We're also going to acknowledge that that's not an out there issue. It's an in here issue. We're going to lament and grieve together over that. We're going to acknowledge together that that's not what God desires. And that's not what God's heart is. We're going to discuss together how we as followers of Jesus are to be reconcilers in this church body and in our community. And by God's grace, we're going to seek to practice that together. Why are we talking about this as a church? You may be asking yourself that right now. Why are we talking about this? Why are we preaching about this on Sunday morning? Well, this morning, I want to spend the rest of our time looking with you at three reasons why we as a church are talking about this and should be talking about this. Number one, reconciliation and justice are gospel issues. Number two, reconciliation and justice are essential to the Spirit's formation of God's people. And number three, Reconciliation and justice are ways in which God makes himself known through us. So let's begin in Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, and if you're using that blue Bible, it's on page 566. And I want to briefly give you a look at why reconciliation and justice are gospel issues. Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. I just want to say this as a disclaimer. I don't know where everybody's coming in this morning. I don't know what your thoughts are. I don't know what your experiences are. The only thing that I ask you to do is to keep an open mind about this. To invite God's spirit to teach you, to show you to reveal to you what he needs to do, what he wants to do. Starting in verse 11, Paul writes, But when Cephas, or Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, or from the church in Jerusalem, he was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came... He drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, before all of them, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew... How can you force the Gentiles to live like a Jew? For we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. 
Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Now, when an apostle of Jesus, particularly the apostle on whom Jesus said he would build his church, is publicly rebuked and condemned, that should mean something to us. We should stand up and we should take notice. Why is this happening? This is a huge deal. The whole letter to the Galatian church is Paul's defense of the gospel, that through Jesus Christ, people are made right with God by faith. And not how good they are, or how many good works they do, or how well they keep God's law. That they are justified and made right with God, brought into a relationship with God, when formerly, formerly they did not have a relationship with God, through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And Paul uses an encounter that he had with Peter to illustrate that point. An encounter that's recorded in Acts 15, we won't go there, but I will summarize it for you. Peter was living and ministering in the city of Antioch in Syria. Antioch was one of the largest Roman cities, and it was a huge city with a huge Jewish population. And by all accounts, the church in Antioch was a multi-ethnic, multicultural community. And if you know your Bible trivia, you will know that it is believed that the designated, the designation Christian was first used of Christ followers in Antioch. And why do Antioch, and why do you think that was? Well, obviously, it was to designate who they worshiped, who they patterned their life and their way of being in that city after. But also, Acts tells us that this church, in this church, that there were people from Cyprus, there were people from Cyrene in North Africa, and there were Jews. In a time where people were defined by their ethnicity and their social status, this group, this hodgepodge group, existed together for no earthly reason other than they had a relationship with Jesus. And so the, Anti- the other Antiochians created this label for them because they didn't know how else to describe them. They weren't just Jews. They weren't just North Africans. They just weren't barbarians. They just weren't Greeks. They, weren't, they just weren't one group of people. They were Christians. They were people from all over the place who were identified by one single thing that they followed the risen Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ was their God. Jesus Christ had their worship. Jesus Christ defined their life. So Peter is living in this community in close relationship with people who weren't Jewish like he was. And this is significant because Paul describes Peter as eating with the Gentiles. Because sharing a meal in that day and age was a very, very personal, relational thing. It was an intimate thing. Peter is described as eating with the Gentiles, and man, that cut right to the heart of the division between Jew and Gentile. Peter was crossing ethnic lines, racial lines, cultural barriers in a simple, natural, uncontrived way. He was sharing food with people who were different than him. But here come folks from James or or the Jerusalem church. And there's no reason to believe that these men weren't true followers of Jesus, as we're going to see here in a second. But these were men who apparently still treated Gentile Christians as off-limits because they were uncircumcised, they had different dietary habits, and they failed to keep the holy Jewish religious days like the Jews did. 
all these things that the Jews had been doing for generations and generations that were part of their cultural and ethnic identity. So when they arrive in Antioch, knowing that they acted this way, that they practiced this, that this is how they existed in the world, Peter, who had been eating with Gentiles, fellowshipping with Gentiles, in relationship with Gentiles, draws back. And he begins to separate himself from people that he once had fellowship with. And it gets worse. As Peter began to do this, Paul tells us that other Christians began to do it as well. Even Barnabas, Paul's road dog, (laughs) the guy who stood up for Paul to the Jews after Paul had become a Christian and said, hey, no, this guy who used to persecute us, he's one of us. Even Barnabas, who had been all about inclusion and acceptance and welcoming and hospitality, even Barnabas was led astray. But notice, Paul calls them hypocritical, not heretical. That's important. Paul says that their lives were hypocritical. This action was hypocritical He doesn't accuse them of being heretical. It means that their doctrine and their theology wasn't wrong. Their actions were wrong. They had the right doctrine. They had the right theology. They believed in the gospel, but the way that they acted was contrary to what they said they believed. And the apostle Paul wrote, they were out of step with the gospel. They were out of line with what they believe. And I can't say this strong enough. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter defending the truth of the gospel from other false gospels. He recounts a circumstance when Peter and other Jews separated themselves from other Christians along ethnic lines, expecting Gentile Christians to uh, live like Jewish Christians before they would have fellowship with them. Paul writes this, and he uses this as an example, as an example of the unfaithfulness to the gospel. Paul makes racism and any attempt to create division between different people of different ethnicities, not a social issue. Right here, he makes it a gospel issue. And he says that is out of step with the gospel. To some, the gospel is about how an individual can go to heaven after they die. And we, along with Paul, say, yes, that is true. Look at verse 16. Paul says, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Not by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. The gospel tells us that through faith, not by being good enough, not by conforming to a list of of rules and expectations, but that through faith in Jesus Christ, we can have a relationship with God and have an eternity that is secured in the presence of God. Justification by faith alone is at the heart of the gospel. We are made right with or reconciled, made right with, restored to a relationship with God. But that vertical reconciliation that Paul mentions right here, in the same breath with that vertical reconciliation, he mentions and he espouses and he drives home the horizontal reconciliation that comes with that. Jesus tore down the wall of division between people Because God welcomes each and every one of us fully and accepts us completely because of Jesus, we should accept each other and welcome each other because of Jesus. The gospel breaks down racial and ethnic hostilities because we have been empowered with a new impulse through the Spirit towards unity towards harmony, since there is only one way in which all people are to be made right with God, namely faith in Jesus Christ, racial and ethnic distinctives should no longer be separators, be dividers between the people of God. Being made right with God through faith, 
puts us all on the level ground of being utterly dependent on the grace of God. It doesn't matter if you're black. It doesn't matter if you're white. It doesn't matter if you, uh, whatever ethnic heritage you have, we all are utterly dependent on the grace of God to make us right with God. That is true about all of us. This is why Peter and the Jews were out of step with the gospel. While saying they believed that, their actions and relational posture to people who were from a different ethnicity than them communicated the opposite. This is why Paul opposed Peter to his face. This is why Paul uses such strong language, because Peter's actions said something untrue about God. Peter's actions communicated something that was untrue about God, that the gospel alone isn't alone, but by ethnic conformity, and that God's okay with separation and division and disunity. This is why racism, this is why overt prejudice or subtle expectations is a gospel issue. It attempts to rebuild the wall of hostility and division that Jesus Christ tore down through his death. Racism and ethnocentrism is an attempt to undo the finished work of Jesus Christ. The attitude of our age right now is you are different from me, and I resent that. You are different from me, and I resent that. We should recognize the difference between distinction and uniqueness and erecting barriers between ethnicities, races, and cultures. In Christ, differences exist. Look around this room. When we become a Christian, our differences don't just disappear. We don't all of a sudden become colorblind. We don't all of a sudden check in, uh, turn in our culture turn in our ethnicity. We don't turn in our, our background and our family. We don't turn in uh, the things that we like to do and our, our interests and our, uh, our preferences. There are differences in the body of Christ, but differences exist. Division should not. And we need to understand the distinction between those two things. It is anti-gospel to promote division. It is anti-gospel to be indifferent towards division. Along with Paul, we oppose it to its face. And we work to restore what's been broken. Reconciliation and justice are gospel issues. And we can't be the people of God as God intends us to be if we only talk about the gospel in terms of an individual, personal experience with Jesus. The gospel transforms our whole lives, not just us individually, but also our relationships and how we exist in this world. Reconciliation and justice are essential to our spiritual formation. God shapes us and forms us in the context of real life, in a real world, in a specific place and time. The racial, ethnic, and cultural division that fills our social media feeds, our news programs, our political rhetoric, it is the dominant narrative of our cultural moment. Division, division, division. Marking out how we are different from other people. Creating tribes and creating communities based on how we are different from other communities. And as we just saw, when we as the body of Christ engage in that, it is antithetical to the truth of the scriptures. We are continuously and constantly engaged in spiritual formation. Every single person on this earth is being formed spiritually. The question is who is doing the forming? Who is doing the forming? For you, who is forming you? Who is shaping you? Whose words, whose ideas, whose teachings, whose truth? For me, the same thing.
We as God's people have to exist in this world. We have to be in this world defined by the truth of the Scriptures. What God says is reality. And I'm not talking about just knowing the right stuff. I'm talking about in our day in and our day out, in our moment-by-moment lives, are we being shaped by what God says is true? Are we being shaped by what God says is right? Are we being shaped by God's vision for how things were meant and created to be? Are we being shaped by what God is doing in history and has been doing in history. Peter knew the right doctrine. Obviously, he had solid theology, but his life was out of step. If Peter's in danger, so are we. I'm in danger. You are in danger of being out of step with the gospel. Because just like Peter, we're always in danger to succumbing to fear. That's what Paul says. Peter withdrew. Because he was afraid. Peter separated himself because he was afraid. Fear of others' opinions. Fear of changing relationships. Fear of losing power or influence. Fear of losing comforts or privileges. Fear of losing our preferred way of life. Fear of whatever. The list goes on and on and on. But listen, folks. God has not given us a spirit of fear, has he? God has not given us a spirit of fear, but he's given us a spirit of power, of love, of peace, of discernment. He has given us, as Paul says in Ephesians 4, the spirit of unity that bonds us together in peace. We are one in Jesus Christ. And so seeking racial reconciliation, restoring what's been broken, this is in line with what God says he is about. And may God grant us mercy and shape us so that we may become more like Jesus in this way. And then lastly, I just want to say that racial reconciliation and justice are ways in which God will make himself known through us. God will make himself known through us. I, I, don't, know what, I don't know what's in your heart. But I know what's in mine. And I know my own apathy and my own indifference towards things that don't affect me personally. There's an indifference as long as my comfort and my way of life aren't at stake. They aren't challenged. And I want to take a moment to specifically talk to my white brothers and sisters in here. Our apathy Our indifference to racial injustice tells the world something that's untrue about God. What we choose to say, what we choose to do, where we choose to stay silent, where we choose to stand at a distance, says a lot to a watching world. I think I've made a pretty strong case in a very short amount of time that justice and reconciliation, advocating for the rights of those who are vulnerable, are essential to the character and the work of God and to the reality of the gospel. But listen, the bar has been set so low, so low, that even a tepid, safe response by any evangelical Christian is seen as a huge step. Is seen as a huge move. That bar has been set so low, and we can and should do better in this body and in our community. Our faithfulness to the message of Jesus, the gospel of justification by faith, our empathy and our compassion toward our brothers and sisters of color, our work in the community and our voice in the community For racial justice, I am telling you, I am telling you, and I believe this with all of my heart, Jesus Christ will draw people to himself because of it. Jesus Christ will bring men and women and boys and girls from all different races and ethnicities to himself as his church moves 
out into the community with a posture of justice and reconciliation. Whenever the name of Jesus is proclaimed through our words and our actions, the power of God's Spirit is at work. That is the promise that we have from God. May God give us grace as a church, grace as individuals to let our light shine before this community so they may see that good work and glorify him so that his name would be made known in this city, that his name would be made known in this country and throughout the world, that people would look at us and our relationships with each other, our moving towards each other, our forgiveness of one another, our, our, our confession of sin to each other, our life together as people who have no earthly reason to join together on a Sunday morning, to be in relationship with each other, other than the fact that we are all under the grace of God and desperately need the grace of God to be right with God, that when people see that, they should see That is what God is like. They should know God through our love for each other and our initiative in moving out as a people of justice and reconciliation in our community. As we come to communion this morning, we take a piece of the bread and we dip it in the juice. We remember together and we proclaim to each other and together that Christ has died that Christ has risen, and that Christ is coming back again. And as we do this together, we do it as a great act of defiance. We do it as a great act of defiance to the division and the injustice of the system of this world and, of the div- and towards the division and the injustice that the enemies of God are wreaking in our city, in our country, and around the world. We are saying this morning as people from different races and different ethnicities that we are coming together because of the power of Jesus Christ. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ is coming back again. We know the end of the story, and we know that God will bring it to completion. And so I want to encourage you and I want to invite you, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ to make you right with God, that you would come with your brothers and sisters from different backgrounds, from different races, from different ethnicities, from different socioeconomic classes, that we would all come together and proclaim the beauty of the gospel. If you are in a place this morning where you're wrestling with this, where you're feeling this in a number of different ways, I want you to know that this is a safe community, that we are seeking to make this a community where we can wrestle with these things, where we can grow together in this, where we can recognize our weaknesses and our limitations and our shortcomings, and together we can pursue the Lord. Together, we can create, we can maintain the spirit of unity through the bond of peace. And so if you want to talk to me or Pastor Nate, Pastor Andrew, we would love to talk with you. We're going to be talking about this in our missional community groups. We're going to have other opportunities that Brian is going to share with us um, here at the close of our service about how to continue to dialogue and how we're going to practice this in our community. And so I pray And I'm going to pray here in a second that God's spirit would empower us, that he would give us humility, that he would give us gentleness, that he would give us open hearts, open ears to listen, that we would listen first and speak second, that we would be people that humbly walk with our God as we move forward as a community. Pray with me. God, we praise you that you're a God of justice. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you have redeemed us, that you have called us out of bondage, and you have given us new life in Jesus Christ. Thank you that you have broken down the barrier 
the dividing wall of separation between us and you. And thank you because that is our reality, that that can also be our relationship to each other. That we would be people in a community that promote peace, promote reconciliation, that we fight for what's good, that we fight against what is wrong, that we are a just people, that we are a people that reflect and say what's true about you. Lord, we need your grace. God, have mercy on us. In Jesus' name, amen.